All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, so we have been in the book of Judges, and we're almost, uh, we're almost through. We're now in chapter 17. Uh, we've got this week and then, not next week, next week's Easter. So if you guys show up here, uh, there will probably be nobody else unless a lot of you show up and just decide to, I don't know, have church together. But it would be just a handful of y'all. Uh, but in a couple weeks, we will finish up. Courtney's going Courtney's gonna to do that lesson and finish, up, finish us up there. Uh, so throughout Judges, uh, we've seen a lot of... We've seen a lot of Judges. So in this part here, I didn't know how else... How else should I put it? You know, the book of Judges, we got a lot of Judges. We've seen a lot of Judges. But here at the end of Judges, we see no Judges. We don't see where, oh, these people were suppressing Israel or oppressing Israel, and then all of a sudden... God raises up these judges and gives them these judges to deliver them. So within the last few chapters, none of that's talked about. There's nobody being raised up, nobody delivering them from so-and-so or anything like that. So it's a really interesting... This is bugging me. It's right in my peripheral vision. There you go. So in this last section, uh, there's nobody being raised up, nobody doing any kind of oppressing. So it's a real interesting section here, and it's a lot different than the rest of judges. And some of it's kind of like... Well, what are, what are these stories even about? So we pick up in 17, in Judges 17, and we come across this guy. So in verses, uh, verses 1 through 5, we come across this man whose name is Micah. And we find out in the first few verses that uh, his mom's basically like, yo, there are people who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from me, and I've whispered this curse against them. And then her son, Micah, is like, uh, yeah, it was me. I stole your 1,100 pieces of silver. And look, here they are. I'm going to give them back to you. Uh, so he gives them back to his mom. And then all of a sudden, his mom's like, oh, okay. So she goes and proceeds and tells Micah, oh, here you go, Micah. You're, I'm going to bless you because you have returned these. Then I'm going to bless the Lord. So Lord, within this section, it's really important to notice how it's spelled. Because it's spelled in all capitals. It's spelled L-O-R-D in all capitals, which means Yahweh, or is typically the reference for Yahweh. So it's really important to take note of that, because the very next thing she tells him to do, uh, she tells him, she goes, proceeds, tells Micah, okay, take the silver, go to this metalsmith or car image smith, it said like this guy who makes these images and stuff, and have him make a metal image and a carved image. Okay, so uh, is there anything wrong that you notice going on here? She's like, oh, praise the Lord. Praise God. Yay. And then, here, now go make an idol. Take the silver. Make an idol. Take half of it. It's kind of like, wait, what, what's going on? What are you, what are you saying? Uh, so, Micah proceeds, goes and makes an idol, and then he tells one of his sons, he's like, hey, I'm going to make you priest. Now, you're priest of my idols. So, okay, this, this is a real interesting story. So, Chapter 17 starts out with, it's just this guy and his mom making idols, and there's nobody saying, okay, these people came and oppressed them, and then God raised this person up and went and said, okay, now go deliver them. It's just going to be the story about a guy and his idols. So in verses 7 through 13, we see that there's this young Levite uh, who's kind of, this, he's a sojourner, just means he's traveling around, talks about him being from Bethlehem and stuff. Uh, which is really odd because Levites aren't supposed to be in Bethlehem. Uh, but it's talking about, okay, this guy's in Bethlehem, and he starts wandering around, and he comes across Micah and his family. Uh, and then so he meets Micah, and then Micah offers the Levite. He says, okay, here, I'm going to give you a lot of money, maybe like 10 pieces of silver a year. 
It must have been a lot because he's like, oh yeah, sure, give me 10 pieces of silver a year and then a pair of clothing each year. And so the Levite agrees, okay, I'm going to stay and I'm going to be your priest. So issue number two comes up. First of all, his mom tells him, hey, go make these idols. Issue number two, he's like, hey, you, you're supposed to be a priest to God. Come be a priest for me and my idols. Okay, it's, it's a little interesting. And then we come across chapter 18. So that's the whole gist of chapter 17. Now, chapter 18, we see that the tribe of Dan, there's a group of people from the tribe of Dan that are wandering around, and they're like, hey, we need to find some land for ourselves. Uh, it's a little bit odd because at the end of Joshua, the book of Joshua, everybody is supposed to be assigned their own land within the book of Joshua at the end of it and then going into Judges. Every tribe gets their own assigned land. But then we see at the beginning of Judges, uh, not everybody does what they're supposed to do to be able to get their own land. If you recall, at the, at the end of Judges, in Joshua, at the end of Exodus and into Joshua, uh, we see a lot of people, are, they're, they're spies sent into the land and into the land of Canaan, and they basically say, okay, you know, some of them were like, two of them were like, hey, the land is good, let's go take the land. Others were like, no, there's giants, we can't take these giants. Uh, and so God had them wander through the desert a little bit longer. And then finally, when all those people died off, and there was Joshua and Caleb, the guys who said, yes, let's go in. They were left with their families. Then God sent them in, go take over, go take over the land, go take over this place, this place, this place, go and conquer these people and take their land. Well, after Joshua dies, the rest of Israel decides, yeah, we're not necessarily going to do that. We, we're going to take over part of it, and then we're going to take these spoils, and we're going to take these things. And so not everything was going well for them when they decided, hey, we're not going to do what God wants us to do. Uh, and so that's where Dan finds itself, the tribe of Dan. They didn't do what God told them to do as far as taking over the land, and so they didn't necessarily have a land to go to. So they're wandering around this whole time looking for a land to take over. And they come across this tribe of Dan. They come across Micah and, and his, little, his little village, if you will, his little encampment. And basically these scouts come, across, come to Micah's house. And they ask the Levite, the priest, if the Lord was with them on their conquest. So the priest goes and says, yes, the Lord is with you in your conquest. Okay, little disclaimer. There are times in the Bible where people say, yes, the Lord says to do this, when no, the Lord did not say to do that. And this is one of those instances. Uh, he, he's, he's, a, he's a priest for idols. So if you're asking the Lord, Yahweh, like in the first few verses, should we do this? But then you go to these idols, these two images, and you say, Lord, should they do this? And you get an answer, yes, that means no, don't do it. And so he tells them, yes, they go on, they do it. Uh, and then they come back with the rest of their tribe. The scouts return to Micah's house, and then they bribe the Levite, and they tell him, they're like, hey, why don't you come with us? Because they're about to steal, they're about to steal Micah's uh, idols. And the Levite's like, no, don't take it. And they're like, well, we'll pay you more money, and we'll give you more clothing. And you can be a priest to a tribe rather than a person. He's like, okay, deal. So he goes and, takes the, uh, goes and takes the idols and goes, okay, let's go on. Let's leave. So Micah, he tries to stop them. He runs after him, takes a few people, runs after him, says, no, don't take my priest. And then Dan, the tribe of Dan, basically, they turn around and they go, hey, don't try to stop us and don't let these people hear you trying to stop us because they'll kill you. So he goes, okay. And he leaves. 
And then, uh, and then Dan, they just continue on. They go to this little town or this village of people. In, in the Bible, it talks about them being unsuspecting people. And then they kill them all and they, because their land was nice and they had a lot of things. And, they were, and then Dan was like, okay, we're just going to kill you and we're going to take your land. And that's it. So this is what happens in 17 and 18. And it's really kind of odd because it's like, well, this is, this is really quite different than what has happened in the previous chapters. Because like in the previous chapters, we see all these people being raised up. We just got done with, uh, with Samson. And then there was the Philistines. So the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites. And then here, who's oppressing the Israelites? Well, it's not talking about anybody oppressing them. It's talking about people specifically within the tribe and what they're doing. So there's one very important verse. We're going to go back and we're going to highlight some of the verses uh, throughout 17 and 18. And then... These are t- this is a really important verse here, and you'll see it actually repeated often throughout Scripture. So in 17.6, Judges 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the one part that you'll see often is the everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see that actually repeated seven times in the book of Judges. That first portion there It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. That's repeated four times in the book of Judges, and all four times are in chapters 17, chapters 18, 20, and 21. It skips 19. But all four times are going to be listed here at the end. So they're talking specifically, the rest of the book of Judges is going to specifically look at Israel and their basically their spiritual state. is like, what are they doing? Rather than, okay, this person's going to go and fight this person and deliver them. But it's going to talk about the spiritual state of Israel and what Israel's been doing. So when we look at this, how can we understand this in today's terms? If I was to say, okay, there were no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, what would today's translation of that be? How could we understand that? Well, there's two actually really simple ways for us to understand this. Uh, one is when there's no king in those days, we can actually interpret that as in, well, it is a relationship and not a religion. Have you all ever heard people talk about Christianity in this way, that it's just a relationship and not a religion? I kind of have an issue with, with that definition of it. We'll get into it, so if you guys like that, hold up. Don't, don't panic yet. We're going to talk about it a little bit. We will get there. Uh, but this other one, I'm pretty sure everybody has heard this, uh, is live your truth. So who's heard that? I assume everybody's heard that. Go live your truth, you know, do what you want, be true to yourself. But this understanding of everyone did what was right in his own eyes, we can understand that as today's interpretation of being live your truth. It's like, because when you live your truth, aren't you doing what you believe is right? And that's what's going on here in the book of Judges, is that hey, everybody is going to start to do, everybody has been doing what they believe is right and what they think is their own truth. So let's talk about this first portion where I said, okay, it's a relationship and not a religion. Uh, so the definition of religion, this is out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, so I'm not just making this up. Uh, and Google's not a great thing for definition, so I went to an actual dictionary rather than just, just Google. So it says, a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Uh, So basically what it's saying is that within a religion, there are rules. 
that's basically what religion's talking about, is that there are rules. And oftentimes, whenever I've heard somebody talk about if they were a believer, they say, oh, it's a relationship, not a religion. Oftentimes, they want to say, yeah, I have a relationship with God, but they kind of want to leave out the rules portion of it. They want to say, no, there's, there's no such thing as rules. It's just this relationship that we don't do this. Uh, but, on the contrary, every relationship has rules. So, I'm married. Let's use that for an example. Does a marriage have rules within it? No? Okay. So, so if it doesn't, let's say no, for example. I decide I'm married. My relationship has no rules. I'm going to go date whoever I want. Oh. But everybody knows when they hear that, okay, you're married and you're just going to go and date somebody. But everybody knows, wait, you're married, you shouldn't do that because, well, why? Well, you're married. You're, you've made a commitment to that person. And so we can understand, okay, we understand marriage has rules within that type of relationship. How about within friendships? Do friendships have rules? Yeah, I could say so. Uh, one of the rules should be, or could be, how do you treat each other? Don't you, or shouldn't you treat each other with dignity within a friendship? Or else if you don't treat somebody with dignity in a friendship, you're basically like, yeah, no, that's not my friend. So when you look at things like this, when we look at relationships, we understand, oh, a relationship has rules within it that we do follow. And we don't just go around saying, or I don't go around saying, I mean, I shouldn't say this, when I'm married, oh, you know, it's just a relationship. There's no rules. I get to do what I want. My wife's not in here right now, so... <laughs> But she would agree with me. We actually had this conversation uh, recently talking about, well, if you're married, there are rules, there are boundaries. And so it's kind of like, it's, it's how our relationship with God is, is that there are rules within that relationship. And there are rules for, there are rules for Israel. So we're going to actually look at those real quick. Um, and one little verse here that I threw in just for fun, uh, Jesus, we'll talk about this later on. Uh, this isn't just an Old Testament thing where it's like, oh, hey, here are all these rules that you follow. In the New Testament, John 14, 15, Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he says, hey, if you claim to have a relationship with me, yes, there are rules. Keep my commandments. But we're going to look at, uh, these are some of the rules that Israel broke here in the first few, the first few verses. Some of these rules we kind of look at, we're like, man, what are these rules? And what do they, what do they even mean? Well, there, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. So here at the, uh, at the beginning of Judges 17, the first rule that they break when Micah's mom tells him, here, take my silver, go make idols. Well, what rule does that break? Well, we could recall there's in the Ten Commandments. Well, one, there's no, have, no, have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. I actually left the other one up, out of there about have no other gods before me. So there's two rules broken right there that we can see. Uh, another one's Exodus 28.1. Uh, the Levites were to be priests. So when Micah made his own son a priest, Micah's son wasn't a Levite, and so he was breaking one of God's rules right there. Uh, another one, I didn't mention this, but Micah also had an ephod made. An ephod's this ornamental thing that you put on, that the high priest specifically would put on. And it's the high priest who is supposed to wear it. But Micah made one. He's like, hey, I'm going to make some idols. Why don't I make this ephod and all this kind of stuff? Uh, and he had his son wear it. Well, it's supposed to be the high priest who wears it. 
then this last one I pulled out was uh, the Levites were supposed to be appointed to 48 specific cities. Uh, Bethlehem wasn't one of the cities, and Micah's encampment wasn't one of the cities. So there's another rule there that they break. So God has set up all these rules for Israel. Some of them were rules of don't do this. Some of them were rules for do this. Because oftentimes, don't we normally think of whenever we hear rules, oftentimes we think of, oh, the rule is don't do this or don't do this. But whenever God gives us rules, there's, they're always two-sided. It's don't do this, but do this. And then the do this is always something good. It's not always bad. We always hear this, don't do this, as being, oh, it's just the negative portion of it. But then we forget the, where God tells us, no, but you can do this. Um, so what does this mean for us today when we look at things like this and we say, okay, uh, Israel had rules back then that they were to follow. They didn't follow them. Um, And we are no longer under this Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if you will. But we are under the New Covenant, where Jesus tells us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is part of the New Covenant. Uh, And where we see this, oftentimes we see this, actually Micah, we see Micah doing this. We normally live our lives in one of two ways today. We either live our life in a way where we say, okay, I have a relationship with God, but I get rid of the religion. It's like, I don't like the rules, so I'm going to just be like, no, I, I, got, I got the relationship, but I'm good. Or we live another way, where it's we live with the relationship, we just live with rule, we live with religion, so we just live with the rules, and we don't live with the relationship. We go, you know, I don't need God because I'm good, and I'm doing good. Therefore, I'm going to be rewarded for the good that I do. And so God's just going to reward me, and I don't need a relationship with Jesus. So there's these two different ways that we normally choose to live, and we kind of see that with Micah. So Micah, at the beginning, he lists Yahweh as, okay, here we go. I got, I got a relationship with Yahweh, but I'm not going to live by the rules that God set for me. So I'm going to acknowledge him, but I'm going to make these idols and say this is how I'm worshiping him. But then later on in his life, we actually see that he does the reverse, where he sets up this ritual or these, this form of worship, but he doesn't have this relationship with Yahweh. Now he has this relationship with these idols. So what we see here in Judges 18, when Micah goes after the tribe of Dan, when they steal his idols from him, he comes to them. And he says, okay, give me back all my things. They tell him no. He then asks them this question. In Judges 18, 24, he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away, and what have I left? So we see Micah's living two different ways. First, he lives where he thinks he's got this relationship with God, uh, and he doesn't need the religion. Then he starts living where he makes these idols and says, well, I don't need God anymore because I have these idols, so I've got these rules that I'm following, but I don't need this relationship with God. But then he loses both of them. So he has no idols, he has nothing, and then he looks at the tribe of Dan and he asks the people who are telling him, no, you can't have any of this back, and he says, if I have lost all of this, what do I have left? And then he just walks, then he leaves. 
and he doesn't answer the question, and nobody answers the question for him. So this is one of those, this is one of those questions we can ask ourselves when we live these particular ways, whether we choose to live, okay, I'm going to live in this, I'm going to claim that I have this relationship. I'm going to live my truth and say I have this relationship with God, but I'm going to leave him at the door and just, I'm going to leave him at church on Sundays or on Wednesdays, and then I'm just going to live my life how I choose to throughout the rest of the week. Or, we do, we're a rule follower, which is very much me when I was younger. I was very much a rule follower and kind of left the relationship at the door and was just like, no, if I do these rules, God will be happy with me. But we do see this in, uh, in 1 John 1, 6. I actually came across this today. And when I came across it, I wish I included it in this. But I didn't. But I'll share it with you anyways. In 1 John 1, 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing truth. And so what was interesting is like the term that we look at today or that we hear often is live your truth. But if we find ourselves walking in this particular manner of life that God says is darkness, it says that we're not walking in truth. But if we follow him, then we are walking in truth. If we follow his commandments, we are walking in truth. So in in today's world, the idea that, you know, your truth is, it's king, it's what rules, it is, it's everything. It doesn't matter what anybody else says or anything, it's what does your truth say. It's a, you know, you can live your life however you want. They tell you don't hide your truth. But what are some ways that they tell us, okay, live your truth? Well, they say, identify how you want. They say, do what you want, say what you want, act how you want. But you know what's a really interesting question that is actually posed in the New Testament by somebody who's not even a believer? It's, uh, it's Pilate at Jesus' trial. Pilate basically says, what is truth? And so he thinks he's being real philosophical and has this really great question that people contemplated back then that couldn't answer. But actually, we do have the answer as to what is truth. And truth isn't just something that we can say, oh, it's objective, so everybody's truth is true. Because whenever everybody's truth is true, well, they, they all contradict each other. Uh, but we see in John 14, 6, we see in John 14, 6, that Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus says that he is the truth, we must listen to him, and we must obey him, just as he tells us, you know, in John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it also, if Jesus says that he is the life, it is okay and good for us to deny our sinful nature and not to just live your truth. Because oftentimes when we say, okay, I'm going to live my truth, what oftentimes do we find is our truth? Well, normally it's, it's our sinful nature that's trying to inform us what our truth is. And we're saying, oh, hey, be true to yourself. Well, what self are you being true to? Because if we're all sinful people and we're all fallen in nature, what are we, what are we following? 
when it says, be true to yourself. Am I following my sinful des desires, my lusts, my fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is that you want to do? Or do we know, like Scripture tells us, hey, take every thought captive or surrender everything to Jesus? Because he claims he is the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 tells us, he says that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So that kind of leaves us with a couple different questions. One is, well, how do we know what is, what is God's truth? How do we know that? If he tells us he's truth, well, how do we know what God's truth is? And then also, how do we lay down our lives? Because if we know not just following our truth is following God's truth, and then he tells you, hey, lay down your lives, and that basically means, hey, you what your sinful nature is telling you to do. Now you got to lay that aside. You got to put that down. You got to put that away. Well, how do we know what to do? Well, kind of like how I highlighted these few verses where it was like, hey, the, the Israelites were disobeying God in these handful of areas. Well, they were, they were disobeying really in a lot more than just those few areas. Uh, we have their Bibles. We have Scripture. Oftentimes, we kind of like, hey, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this to church Sundays, Wednesdays, get home, just lay it on my nightstand or wherever else, and then I forget it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm walking out the door on Sunday, and I'm like, oh, I forgot my Bible. Let me go grab that. And then yet I forget my Bible throughout the rest of the week. And I'm not just saying this, that, hey, this is just, just you all that do it. Um, no. <laughs> no, almost all the adults that you know do it, too. We struggle with remembering, hey, how do we know what God's truth is? Well, we have to search the scriptures, but oftentimes we forget to search the scriptures ourselves. Oftentimes we struggle with living our own truths as well. I mean, one of the truths can be, hey, you know what? You've had a really long day. Go relax. Just watch TV. Go play a game. Just don't do anything. Just browse social media. Don't pick up that Bible. I mean, oftentimes that's us living our truth, is that, hey, this is the only way I can relax is by not doing anything and just checking out and just leaving the Bible right there on the nightstand. And it's kind of like, this is how Israel was living in the days of the book of Judges, is that oftentimes, hey, they, they got this part of this religion that they live on certain days, but then they put God to the side for the rest of the week and just like, we'll check out and I'll just pick you back up on Sunday or Wednesday or you know, whatever day it is of the week. So what do we do? You know, if we find that, hey, you know, I struggle throughout the week through this. Well, in the book of First John, actually, this is a freebie. This wasn't even in the talk. In the book of First John, we were actually looking at this today in my Sunday school. And it's something I think that we can all all look at and all depend on if I can get there. It's such a small book. All right, there we go. In 1 John, 
This is chapter 2, verse 2. And John is telling us, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So if you find yourself, hey, you know, I'm struggling throughout the week. I struggle to even desire to know God. I just, I struggle to want to pick up my Bible. I struggle wanting to do and follow and know what God's truth is, but I just want to live my own truth. Well, it's okay because you have an advocate in Jesus Christ, somebody who is going to stand up for you. So basically when it uses the word advocate, he's talking about him like a lawyer. It's basically like you are before the judge and the judge is about to declare you guilty. But Jesus is your lawyer, and guess what? Hey, he is the best lawyer. (laughs) And he's going to stand up and he's going to say, no, this is mine. And he's going to take care of any kind of issues that we had. And so what do we do? Well, we turn to our advocate is what we do. We repent. We ask our advocate, hey, help me in this area because I struggle in this area. Hey, guys, in, in us as leaders, we will tell you, hey, we struggle all the time. And it's not just... It's not just something that we're telling you all or something that we get on to you all about or anything. He said, we struggle with this too, and we have to depend on Jesus as being our advocate. He's not just your advocate. He's also our advocate. He's my advocate for whenever I'm just like, I just don't want to do this. And then Jesus comes in, he interferes, and he goes, no, you, you do because I've done this for you. And so this is what we can learn from the people of Judges, and when we look back, and we're kind of like at this section where it's like, man, what, is, what does this even mean? There's no, I remember being younger, and I came across this, this section in Judges, and I'm like, man, there's no fighting. There's nothing like this. This isn't even cool. Why, don't, why am I even reading this? But then you look closely, and you actually see, well, no, this is, this is very much how we live. This is our lives every day. This is what we do. But God is going to interfere, and he's going to interject and he's going to call us back to himself. So with that, it is 11.56. I'm actually finishing early. Congratulations to me. Uh, so with that, you all can go to your breakouts. Um,